Hi, I'm David Pogue. Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your digital home for the RVing lifestyle. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com for additional information about each episode. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot. And we're talking to you from our far-away-from-home studio, located on a cruise ship in the harbor of Amsterdam, the Netherlands. And the second half of a back-to-back cruise experience, ladies and gentlemen. We left you last month, and we were about to embark on the Enchanted Princess from Fort Lauderdale. (laughs) But did we have trouble there? We are finally on the trip that we planned back in 2019, the first one that got canceled by COVID. And I think COVID is still causing gremlins to rise up in the travel industry. We had a very simple beginning to this trip. We were supposed to fly from the Chicago area to Fort Lauderdale to board a cruise Which is a very simple trip. I mean, come on. From Chicago to Fort Lauderdale? And we were going to fly on Southwest Airlines, an airline we use regularly for domestic flights, very dependable. We had checked in for our flight on our phones, had our boarding passes. And Which is then, a 24-hour in advance operation. And then we got the email telling us... At 6.30 p.m. That our flight was canceled. The day before you fly, they tell you that your flight is canceled. And then we spent two hours on the phone talking to them about alternatives. When they rebooked us, Ken got a stopover, and I got two stopovers, so we weren't even Mm. flying together. I would have arrived in Fort Lauderdale in the middle of the night, and they... (laughs) And I would have to come and pick you up. Oh, how? Yes, Um, yeah. And uh, they seemed to think it was blamed on the weather, which, having finally successfully done this flight, uh, we know the weather had nothing to do with it. So I think that... COVID has affected well, staffing and, and if the operations. Weather, if the weather was indeed bad, we I had flown I, if I had flown to Nashville, you would have been stuck in, in someplace else, and and I might not have been able to fly to Fort Lauderdale, and would my luggage have made it on time? So we originally, of course, had nonstops from Chicago. You should be able to fly nonstop to, to Fort, Fort Lauderdale. Lauderdale. <laughs> For God's sakes. And we've given ourselves a little wiggle room because we know that things like this can happen, but we really didn't have a lot of wiggle room because if you miss a transatlantic cruise, it's not like you can catch (laughs) up with it on the next port. Because after we left Fort Lauderdale, we were at sea for six days. And even then, you'd have a hard time flying to the Azores on short notice to pick up the rest of the cruise. So this was uh, a a very heart-stopping moment and something we didn't anticipate because we're the RV navigators. (laughs) We don't have those kinds of problems. We've had an occasional problem. Yeah, this well, was a new one for us. So, but I guess after two hours on the phone on the, with with Southwest, we decided that they just they couldn't help and, us. And it was if uh, these flights have been canceled, you know, if Martha was taking two more flights and I was taking another flight, you know, would those be canceled also? We didn't trust them. We didn't. Yeah, not at all. Why would you? <laughs> In all honesty. So. Finally, because we do live in Chicago and there are many ways to get to Fort Lauderdale from Chicago, we booked a flight on United, paying twice as much as we would have been paying for Southwest. But we're getting the money back from Southwest. Oh, (laughs) yeah. 
seconds because they have our cancellation policy. Ended up in the middle seats because that was all that was left. And the lady behind me in her middle seat was also talking about her Southwest Airlines flight. So I have a feeling that United and that flight, flight was full. Was totally full of Southwest Airlines refugees. In all honesty, it was exactly at the well within half an hour of, of when we were flight. originally planning on leaving and landing. And if the weather had been bad for Southwest, why wasn't it bad for United? <laughs> Did they fly at a different level and through the clouds or something where you don't have good good flights? Uh, I don't know, Southwest. Our trust levels are way down. Yeah, so thank you, Southwest. But we made it to the ship, and we made it across the Atlantic, and now we are here in, in Amsterdam. Amsterdam, a wonderful city. So, so this Princess Cruise was uh, on their one of their newest ships, the Enchanted Princess, and it was very nice because uh, the ship holds about four thousand, and there were only twenty three hundred passengers, and there were thirteen hundred crew. So, unlike a princess's usual types of uh, cruises, there was a crew to passenger ratio of about uh, two to one. So uh, one to two, I guess. There were two passengers for every crew. So that made service and uh, going to events and activities on the ship. There was enough passengers so that they could have all the activities, but all of the activities were nicely <laughs> unpopulated. Uh, you know, you could go to the theater in the evening, and there were it was pretty full, but there were seats left over. And you could you come didn't have to go early. The last minute exactly. And find a place so to that sit. was very nice. There were numerous things that we noticed that were COVID-related that didn't happen. One thing they told us was that only 25% of the employees that have to do with food preparation and distribution came back, and the lack of experience from the very young crew in general was very obvious to us. When you are being guided by people who haven't taken as many cruises as you have... uh, It, it leaves oh, really? It lacks a little. Uh, so even cutting them some slack, I think we had an excellent experience, but I hope that they get a little more practice under their belts. Well, you can, we you can understand that after two years that a lot of the um, former employees had found other things to do. Just like so we that if, in restaurants if on Princess land. only got back 25% of its original employees, uh, it has must be having a very tough time st- staffing their ships. Uh, and as she says, that was clear from the kind of uh, ragged nature of some of the services that were provided. I think they were all friendly and nice, but they just didn't, they know, just didn't know what to do. And that's yeah. that's a big problem when you have a, a big ship that, that's as complex as uh, as this ship is. <laughs> you know, I got to. This amazes me that a ship can sail for two full weeks with over well thirteen hundred and uh, you know, thirty six hundred people on board, and they have all the supplies they need. For that entire trip. And the maitre d' was very proud of the fact that the Enchanted Princess made everything from scratch. Even every piece pasta. of bread, every pasta, every every sauce, everything was made from scratch in the kitchen. And that's uh, an amazing operation for, for two weeks. Because even at the end of the two weeks, we had crispy lettuce. Fresh we, fruit. Fresh We had bananas. And how do you keep a banana for two weeks? I can't keep it for one week at home. <laughs> they have got it down. And they were very clear about the fact that we ate 18 tons of food a day. <laughs> it kind of feels like it, doesn't it? 
here we are. Uh, we just certainly ate our share, and uh, they had enough stuff to go across the ocean for 14 days and not be resupplied. And that includes, you know, water and everything. So uh, they had enough booze and everything else And even the last night or two, you never came to a menu item where they said, oh, sorry, we're all out of that. They just no. planned and budgeted perfectly for uh, keeping us happy all and, the way And the last night the they sea. had surf and turf, so they had all that store, sort of fresh stuff. And it's uh, uh, Cruise ships are an amazing operation. And thinking that those croissants that you had in the morning were made on the ship the night before, and all of the other baking and all you know, all the sauces and everything that they use, uh, it's it's quite an operation. Now that we're here on our river cruise ship, uh, most of our fellow passengers just flew in a day or two before, and this reminds me to tell you one of the main reasons we love these transatlantic repositioning cruises is that when you arrive in Europe, you have conquered the jet lag because every day, every other day that we sailed, we changed the clocks on the ship one hour, so we were gradually getting um, accommodated to the time zones that Europe lies on, and it was so much less painful than having to try to walk around like a zombie for a few days after you first arrive in Europe because those time zones are hard to conquer no matter and what And this ship did an interesting thing because uh, we had six time zones and and uh, six days at sea so every day at noon they chopped off an hour so there was every an hour. other day yeah well not, not every day many days it, yeah, six it, days at sea. Yeah. Six hours of time change. Right. Well, Actually, no, nine no, days no, at sea. No, anyway, no. we'll have a controversy about this, but the bottom line is... It's much is, easier. Instead of losing an hour of sleep, we lost an hour of... Nap time. <laughs> <laughs> so we always say that cruising is RVing on steroids, which is how we justify talking about cruising on an RV Navigator podcast. We're very happy that you're listening, and I hope that you are finding cruising to be an interesting topic, and certainly... And and that you will understand and excuse our lack of RV conversation (laughs) this month in particular. Because we have done no RVing, and... we should say there were a few places we went in France, and here, and Copenhagen, Mm -hmm where there's apparently a new development in Europe where large cities devote a parking area to self-contained RVs, so there's nothing but a place to stop. Boondocking, that's what um, we would call it. But, but they're well-located near the center of towns that you want to do stuff in, and they, they were free, was that well, right? Uh, or, or low cost. Yeah. <laughs> but most... <laughs> It's a problem because most of those people did not tow a car, so maybe they had bikes, which they often have, but, you know, we were a ways from the central city. To walk. To walk, or to even to ride a bike, it would be taking a while, and uh, so, I don't know. There were a lot of people staying there, and it was obvious that they were boondocking, so we were... It's a we nice talk, idea. actually talked to somebody who'd done that, and they confirmed it. Because right before we left home, I answered somebody's question on Facebook about where do you camp in, near Chicago, and my answer kind of was nowhere, because um, in our country, big cities, the land near them is expensive, and people don't put campgrounds where the land is expensive. They put campgrounds where there's a railroad track <laughs> that a train's going to come through in the middle of the night. Always. Um, so we really do not defer to... To RVers very much at all in our metro area. 
areas. Yes. Since Europe is so heavily populated, this is a good idea to get people in RVs to stop in your town and spend some money. And if you have a bike on the back, it's entirely feasible that you could make it into town because most of the cities have decent bike trails and and places to ride your bikes. So that's uh, a good thing. Now, she mentioned that... Uh, she received a comment from one of our listeners, and we have not received many comments from listeners, and I think because the RV Navigator email system has failed. Oh, no. What happened? Well, I don't know exactly. <laughs> I How do you re- know that it failed? Well, uh, well I had somebody no contact... news good news? <laughs> <laughs> no. No. Good news is bad. I mean, no, no news, news is, is bad, bad news. news for me. We like to hear from our listeners, and we certainly want to hear from you. But if you have clicked on the button on our website to try to send us an email, it may you it may look like it sent an email, but my well, mailbox is empty, and it doesn't seem to be filling up very fast. So, so. it's the coding on the web page? No, it's not the coding on the web page because I've tried to send email. Well, when I send an email to the navigator at rvnavigator.com, uh, it goes through. But, but you have to type the address. Well, yeah. I mean, as opposed uh, to pressing a button. No. the I have... No, that has been available for a long time, and I don't know why it has uh, stopped working. But my email, the RV Navigator mailbox, is empty. She's looking puzzled. Yeah. And I don't know exactly why, but I had somebody say that they've tried to contact me, but they couldn't. How could they say that when they couldn't contact you? Because they did it through Facebook. Ah, They they logged on to our Facebook page and sent me a message through Uh Facebook. uh So I am in the process of swapping things out until I can get it fixed. I don't know what the problem is. I I deleted the email account. I established a new one anyway. And we should add that when we were crossing the Atlantic, we were totally without Wi-Fi for... Four days? Five days? Five days. So Ken hasn't had much opportunity to solve this problem either. So if you'd like to send us an email and you'd like to talk Don't about try. if you'd like to talk about episode two oh five of the RV Navigator for May of two thousand twenty two, which is the current episode you're listening to, you can send us an email at rvnavigator at mac.com and that should go through that's my other alternative address or send us a message through Facebook or send a postcard no (laughs) send a postcard does anybody do that anymore I don't think so or Go to my trip journal. This is where your person uh, yes, contacted you. Can you. Also you tell email them. us through my trip journal slash Wiseman. So it's my trip journal dot com slash Wiseman, and that will bring you to Martha, and Martha will be glad to answer your email. So when we I, do. When want, I have Wi-Fi. So if you haven't heard from us, we're very sorry. Um, it's not because of lack. Well, it is. <laughs> It's not because of lack of will. It's because of lack of technology and my not understanding how the, how, how email works. Yeah. And I still have not really come up with a solution to how to fix this. But I don't know what to say. I would like to say try navigator at rvnavigator.com, but 
if it doesn't go through, you don't even know it. Because uh, I don't think it's bounced back. Uh-huh. And the, the mailbox is definitely not full. Uh-huh. So I need some help. A problem that send remains me both, to be Send it to both places and see if you get a response. From either one. Anyway, we, uh, we appreciate your listening, and we want you to continue to listen. After 205 episodes, we have some pretty loyal listeners, and we want to uh, answer your questions and uh, hear your comments, but... When things go dark, they go dark, I guess. We encourage you to take a look at the webpage for this month where we will have all the links and you can download the podcast and have see some pictures of us sailing away on our RV trip on steroids. <laughs> it's a two-part trip. So we're doing back-to-back. Uh, and this is an interesting back-to-back and one comparison that you'd like to hear about, I'm sure. And that is we are sailing on a large ship. Um, to Europe. To the largest that Princess has. And now we are doing our first Europe river cruise. In a long time. Well, we have never done one like this. No. So we are on a Viking longship. And these ships are long. So long... <laughs> That it would be very hard to navigate. I would not want to drive one of these guys. Oh, that's the truth. Especially through the canals of Amsterdam. People always say, your, your motor on 45 feet, my it's God, so how can long. you drive it? And this thing is yeah. like three times that or more. Uh, it holds about 190 people, That which is obviously very small by uh, cruise ship standards. It is dramatically more expensive. And as we found, the cabin is... Tiny. Tiny. We wish we were in our spacious motorhome again. Our spacious motorhome with 350 square feet has been whittled down to the cruise ship cabin, which has 150 square feet. Ooh. So anytime one of us wants to make a move, we have to negotiate. But we don't have to make our own bed. Is it my turn to brush my teeth? Can you hold still long enough for me to open this drawer? Yeah. It's very small. A lot of people want to know the difference between these types of cruises and Viking is known for its small ship and luxury service would you say the service is better I don't know that it's better it's yeah. very good I would say the food is better than, than okay we've been on here a couple of days and we decided that the food is better but not and the other thing that I like that it's like doing, four star versus five star yeah yeah it's not a big do- big deal most of the time when I'm on a big cruise ship I'm eating American food because that's who's on the ship is Americans and they bring stuff on board that they think we would like to eat and from Fort Lauderdale has that choice as well, but they also are trying to include local food from the immediate area where you are, prepared in the local way, with inscrutable names. I had a, a three-course meal yesterday language that names. was um, all Dutch items. I had no real idea what they were, but I thought, how bad could they be, their food? Mm-hmm. And it was a real eating adventure and a lot of fun, and I really appreciate that because eating is part of the culture when you're in a new place. Oh, yeah. Eating lots of food is a, is a cultural experience. Whereas on Princess, um, one, you could eat 24 hours a day. Anytime you wanted food, there was food available. The dining room was open uh, for extended hours, whereas on this ship we have to eat uh, during the single-seating dinner. For dinner. And we were very impressed with Princess on this particular ship, uh, and maybe they're doing it fleet-wide, in that they're... They have no longer fixed sittings. It used to be that you had to eat at 
six and then eight. There was a second sitting at eight thirty. And you had assigned tables. And you had assigned uh, tables with and the that same sort of people stuff. all the time. Right. That seems to have gone away. Yes, yeah, so and now it's anytime dining. They the dining room is open from five thirty to nine. You can go and, and in our case, we didn't need any reservations or anything. We just walked in and and sometimes we ate with people and sometimes we ate by ourselves. Um, and on this ship. Uh, the dining room doesn't really have any tables for two. No. They're all, it's all dining with other people. So if you want to do that, that's uh, an issue that you might want to contend with. Although and I say the, the menu choices were much broader. On, pin- on, on princess. princess. Although if you want to eat by yourself on this ship, because it's not very full, you probably could eat by yourself if you wanted to. But that's, but you'd be at a table with multiple people, that's whereas normally how it's done here. we were always asked on Princess, do you want to share or do you want to eat at a table for two? On Princess, beverages were much more limited. You had water and tea and coffee that was included for every meal. Yes. We're here, we get soft drinks and wine. And some what iced tea and coffee and do we get some specialized coffees? No, no cocktails. They have both lines have a drinks package, package. which is expensive for, for this hard cruise. Li- the for hard liquor. well, and for liquor beyond the the, the wine. One, no, beyond the dining times. Right, any time of the day. I couldn't go up there right now and get. A free drink. A, a free drink, not free, included. Mm-hmm. Um, but they both have packages, and on this ship, for the 10 days we're going to be on this, it was $200 each for unlimited drinks, and then for the Princess, it was $59 a day or something per person. For two weeks. Up to 15 alcoholic drinks a day. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, I just don't see how you could justify uh, a glass of wine at dinner. To me, is a very nice thing, and that's Fifth. enough. And you'd feel, you know, if you're paying sixty bucks a day, you'd feel like you want to get your money's, money's worth. worth. <laughs> be staggering around all the time. Um, of course, on this ship, it's very nice because we are close to everything. If you forget something back in your cabin, it's only fifty feet away. On the Princess, we walked hundreds of steps every day because. Just to go because to go to dinner you had to walk the whole length of the ship. To go to a show you had to walk the whole length of the ship to the other side. So if you are well, that's another interesting thing here. I was going to say the elevators on Princess uh, were very good. They took you to all the decks on this ship. There are no elevators. No, there's no. That's not true. There's three decks, and the elevator goes only between two of them. Okay. And it does not go to our deck. That's why I think there aren't any. <laughs> and we should say that although we are in virtually the cheapest cabin, it, being in the cheapest cabin does not mean that it's smaller than the other ones. So we were, were in a cabin, as I said, 150 square feet. But as we went through and looked at the other cabin categories, the they really the, the only same. difference in size is, is that they added a veranda. And because it's cold, that's not all that benefit. And, you know, the f- square footage goes up, but the actual usable area space. doesn't yeah. go up. So uh, we don't even have a chair in our... We have a little stool for the makeup table, but that's... Uh, we is, can't sit down. Which is why we're sitting here in the lounge, <laughs> hoping that we picked a fairly quiet nook. Uh-huh. Um, but we have no control over phones ringing or people wandering by and talking. So. Whereas on Princess, uh, we had a 
mini suite this time, which meant that we had... Uh, a couch big enough for both of us to sit we on. We had two TVs, and we had kind of a second living area, and that cost less than this one did for the 10 days. So transatlantics are automatically somewhat cheaper, but uh, by the same token, the... Uh, Accommodations are much bigger, much more. Uh, there's much more expansive. You can choose a wider variety of accommodations because there are thousands of uh, cabins on a big liner. And we notice that the entertainment is much better. On a big ship. Princess had nice entertainment. A lot of live music of all styles, classical, jazz. Dancing. A steel drum guy that was amazing. And a lot of people like that, obviously. Uh, the princess had... Uh, theater show, you know, th- shows in the production theater every shows, night. Yeah. Well, not only production shows, but uh, live entertainment. Um, that came on board th- that for came, a few days. Right, either comedians and singers and instrumentalists of all sorts. So every night there was some sort of uh, big-time entertainment that you go and sit in the theater. Whereas on this ship, they have a guy who plays an electronic piano. Which and maybe sings. Pre-recorded, even as he's playing it, <laughs> we, we are not. Impressed. It's definitely background music, um, and that's the total amount of entertainment. I'm hoping that COVID is pretty well over with by the time you are listening uh-huh. to this, but chances are it's not. And uh, there were some differences in how the two ships handled that yes. tricky topic. For Princess, we needed to have a, a test the day before, which we could handle easily by going to a local Walgreens in Fort Lauderdale and getting the antigen test in two hours, and that that was sufficient. And we also had to show our vaccination card. They did not test us at all the whole time we were on board, but there was a floor on the ship that the elevator, <laughs> that the elevator did elevator not didn't stop go to. on. The light on the elevator was off. And we heard that some people ended up there, and we have the impression that new crew members were quarantined there until they were proved to be COVID-free before they were sent to work. So it's not like the... The COVID wasn't on Princess. They just weren't looking for it. And they didn't make any announcements. And they During did, the they whole did, 14 days, there was nothing mentioned about COVID. They did test us all the final day because most of us were Americans and most of us were flying home, and that was a requirement for f- flying home. And it was at that point that we started to see some posts on Facebook where people were astonished to find that they had COVID because they flunked the test and now they couldn't go home. <laughs> flunked. Which is... Um, a, a, a blow to say the least. Now here on Viking, we had to submit um, the Verify app, which some of the airlines use, where you send in your vaccination record and answer questions about how how your health has been. And so that took care of that stuff. And they had a testing requirement, but no one ever asked to see our testing no. when we checked in. And uh, instead, they do their own testing. Well, we um, were asked to, to spit to bur- immediately. Yeah. So every day, including the moment we got on board, we have to spit about an inch of spit <laughs> into a test tube and turn it in. And you have to do that immediately upon waking up. Before you even brush your teeth. Supposedly. And, and we have read things on Facebook where because Viking is so vigilant about this that people are getting pulled off the ships right and left and quarantined or sent to a hotel in a town. They've handled it different ways at different times. And it gives you this kind of uneasy feeling every Every day. day. Will I pass the test? Will I be able to be on board again tomorrow? 
when we were on Viking last summer, this was reassuring to me yes. because I felt like yes. people were still dying of COVID, were for the most part, um, unless you have uh, health conditions, you know the drill, most of us might get a cold or have no symptoms at all. And this is especially a, a cruel blow to somebody who thinks they feel fine and then finds out they test positive. So while we have been gone, we understand that the airline requirement for wearing a mask has disappeared yes. and that when we fly home, we won't need to wear one, maybe? Uh, who knows? Who knows? So, but Viking, it, it, to us, is kind of making a mistake here because... They're asking for trouble. Yeah, they're, they're asking to know about something they really don't want to know about because then they have to take action. If you're testing positive, they have to take you off the ship or quarantine you in your cabin. Whereas Princess said, well, unless you're really sick with symptoms, we're not going to know about it, and so we don't care. And frankly, uh, I right now, for the situation that we're in, I would prefer the princess because there, we may be taken off tomorrow, yeah. midship, and who knows what you know what's going to happen. There were several posts about people who, as Martha mentioned, got that bad news on the day they were supposed to disembark fly and fly home, and they couldn't do that because and one of you know it's, it's it's really strange because the husband will pay will test positive and the wife won't or vice versa and then you know you've done the same things and you've been, been to the, the same, same place. places you've lived in the same cabin how could this be and so i'm not really all that confident that the tests are doing what they should be doing at this point at this point so that was a little rant i'm sorry <laughs> But it's obviously I, concerning us. Yeah, well, it's a, a serious concern. So if you don't hear from, from us for months at a time. <laughs> We're quarantined in some hotel in Holland somewhere. <laughs> okay, Could so I, I wanted to follow up with one of my ideas from last month. What was it? I'm bringing my universal remote control. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, we got especially when we were on Princess and we had all that extra time on our hands. We thought it would be nice to catch up on some of the things, movies and TV shows that we never get around to. I don't know why we never get around to them. We are retired, but we have a bunch of stuff we'd like to watch and we haven't been able to do. And because now Netflix and and Directv and other services allow you to Apple TV allows you to to download and bring with you uh, episodes of uh, series or entire movies. We said, well, what the hell? We'll just bring it along and we'll watch it on our TV in the room. Ha-ha. So as I mentioned a couple months ago, or last month, that I bought a universal remote control because most remote controls that they use in, on ships and, and hotel rooms and places like that don't have the complete set of functions that a TV can do. Among them is the, is the ability to change inputs. Most of our computers have a nice HDMI output, which would go nicely into the TV, and then you could watch your, your movies on a big screen. Because we have nice TVs in both cabins. Both, and even here in... Uh, and this ship, a uh, 42-inch TV, which is fine, especially when you're sitting only six feet away from it because your room is so small. <laughs> okay, so... I have uh, tried to hook them up, and right now it's amazing that the biggest. I, so I've tried it in a hotel, in one hotel, and the Princess cruise ship, and now this cruise ship, and I have not been successful at any of the venues. On Princess, 
I couldn't get the TV off, off the, the wall, wall to plug the thing to plug my jack in. I could change the I could change the input with my so the re- remote worked. So the remote worked, but I couldn't. Well, I think it would work, but I couldn't get the plug into the wall because it was so Tightly firmly attached. And I. Yeah. And I know that every remote has, or I mean, every mount on the wall has some sort of a button or a lever or a thing to pull or <clears throat> to dis- to let you take it off the wall. But on the Princess, even after numerous tries, I just could not find the the capability to take it off the wall. So I could plug in the HDMI cable. I wasn't doing anything nefarious like stealing the TV. And I don't think they have to worry about that either. Uh, the hotel uh, just didn't work at all. And here, <laughs> You've got the cable I took the TV off the wall. I found the little the little latches that uh, would release it. the TV enough so that I could pull it out in order to pull plug the plug in uh, the HDMI cable. And I did that, and now the universal remote will not change this Samsung TV, it, its inputs. I cannot get it, I cannot find the code that I need to control the Samsung TV. So, ladies and gentlemen. We're stuck with watching CNN. <laughs> and not anything of our own, which is really a shame. What a waste. And we have tons of pictures. That we would like to look at on a big TV, too. Yes, we would. You know, we talk about world-class events, and I think we're kind of uh, f- <laughs> the foodies of world-class events. We like to do uh, the best in the world, and we're going to the Balloon Festival last year, going to uh, Calgary, going to the Rose Bowl Parade, doing NASC, uh, the, the Indy 500. Which we haven't done. Which we'd like to do, but we have done NASCAR. Kentucky Derby. Kentucky Derby. All of these things we have done. Well, part of our reason for being here in Amsterdam is because we wanted to do the Kuchenhof Gardens. And last year we went to the Tulip Fields of Illinois. (laughs) Drove an hour. We drove over an hour to visit the Tulip Fields in Illinois and... Ho-hum. Ho-hum. Whereas... Here, we actually planned on spending a whole day going to the Kuchenhof Tulip Gardens during the Tulip Festival, and that's all the other thing, you have to go at the right time. And this whole trip was kind of planned around that event as something we wanted to do. And this cruise is called a Tulip Cruise. Yes, and we um, will be Holland going again. Holland has been the center of tulip mania since the 15th century, when they started sailing trip, boats all around the world and brought back some tulips from Indonesia. Bidding frenzy ensued, people lost their homes and cars, not a single tulip bulb was worth as much as a house yeah, yeah. a single tulip bulb that obviously so, has changed so in since more then, recent times um, they have specialized in raising tulips number one tulips like to be in sandy soil which Holland has a lot of well, much of which is reclaimed from the sea let's be honest about this it's not a big area well, that the they whole grow country the, is not big. Yeah, yeah, but I'm saying that the tulip growing area is not big. I mean, it's it's by U.S. standards, it's, it's several square miles, but I, but it's not, it's not like the whole country is full but of it's tulips. Big for Holland, and they they grow all sorts of other fresh flowers as well throughout the year in greenhouses. That's kind of become their specialty. But during springtime tulip season, the world converges on this Kuchenhof <laughs> garden to see the amazing displays of 
all different kinds of colors and combinations yeah, of colors, uh, flat leaves, variegated leaves, tulips as Amazing. big as a head of cabbage, uh, two feet stalks, um, stunning displays. And we walked our feet off before we even got on board trying to see it all. And we didn't see it all, but we're not too upset about it because our ship is going to go back there and we're going to get to so see So even some somebody more. who's not a flower person, person. such as myself... I was amazed at this world-class 17-acre gardens that is so well manicured, and they have displayed the flowers in just innumerable uh, settings with, you know, mixed colors and then, you know, all a garden full of one color and variegated leaves and then the ones with the, the look like they were frayed. frayed. Uh, just, uh, it's amazing how many tulips there are and how many different combinations you can... And so I took 500 pictures. And I only took 250. <laughs> what the, am I going to do with all these? So take... if you'd like a picture of the tulips, send us, we'll send you an original. Well, probably it'll <laughs> oh, be a we should have, we, should have uh, we should sell these as NFT. N- NFTs? Non-fungible tokens. Yeah, NFTs. We should sell. We should start selling NFTs of our uh-huh, pictures. Uh-huh. So, dear listener, send us some money, and we'll send you a, an, an NFT of one of our pictures. <laughs> the tulip season takes about six weeks altogether, and really starts with daffodils and hyacinths. Uh, so most of them were already spent and over with when we got here because we're here in the month second after it started. half of the season, I yeah. would say. Um, but And every so often we would come across a bed that they had already deadheaded because those tulips were spent. But the other fun thing we did is we rented um, an e-car, which has about as much power and space as a golf cart. <laughs> And we'll send you a picture. And we drove through the farmer's fields where they are raising the tulip bulbs. Because obviously the whole purpose of this is actually an industry here, and they sell bulbs throughout the world, and they have to have fields that bloom in order to get the bulbs so, to sell. So there are fields that are striped with varieties of colors, which is amazing. So the actual Kukanoff Gardens are set displays that the gardens have set up. Professional gardeners, yeah. So then we took this car and drove a 25-kilometer loop that took us through the supplying fields. I don't know what to call them. The the fields that are planted. Where the bulbs are farmed. That are not, it's not decorative. They're They're growing them to resell them. But because they are blooming they're very very colorful and a huge once again variety of of styles and colors and because they have to cultivate these specially so as you fly in as we did from we flew in from Copenhagen you fly over these fields and it looks like colored stripes on the ground like a, know, flag. Kind of <laughs> like a flag we also should say um, Amsterdam is a very busy city no matter when you come and because of the Tulip Festival that made it astronomically more busy but one of the reasons why traffic still flows around here is that most everybody rides a bike and the Dutch have really committed themselves to that lifestyle. Many of the roads we drove on were what I would call a farm road uh, with two lanes. But in this country, you have two very nice, spacious bike lanes to go in both directions. And then what's left in the middle of the road, you kind of duke it out with other cars and with bicycles and whoever else happens to be trying to travel on that road. 
So here and in, in, in town and out in the fields, bicycles are the order of the day. It saves a lot of gas, it's good exercise, and people do it year-round even though it's cold enough to snow, snow here. Snow, yeah, and it freezes occasionally, so it is kind of cold today. Today's the, in the 50s. Even here at the end of April... It's it, in the 50s. It's in the... In the 40s. When we got up. <laughs> is it 50? Yeah. I don't think is. so. No, it is. Okay. And windy. So we are always talking about Internet. And, of course, we have talked about Starlink many times. I asked a couple of our dining companions who were, who were RVers in England if they had heard of Starlink. And they had not even heard of it. So I guess Starlink is not offered in the northern Europe. I don't know. But, of course, it's uh, becoming very popular in the United States and in the Ukraine. And Ukraine has, Elon has done a great job of sending Starlink to uh, units, the, the hardware to Ukraine and turning it on there so that all the troops and people there... Communication could, could flow. He was given kind of a big accolade um, from the top Pentagon official said SpaceX Starlink rapidly fought off a Russian jamming attack in the Ukraine. It was eye-watering to see the news report that the Russians were trying to jam Starlink and that almost the next day I think, in fact, it was the next day, he said. Starlink had slung a line of code that fixed it, and suddenly that was not a, a, an effective... The jamming was over. The mm-hmm. Russians couldn't stop the communication flow. So this government official was being very laudatory and, and went on to say that <laughs> the government can't, can't react that quickly and that uh, you know they fixed this uh, problem with the jamming in, in just a minute. So uh, that's, that's very good news, and... Um, if you're jammed and you're in Las Vegas or someplace, Elon will fix it for you. <laughs> I, I do have to add, during those days at sea, when well, we didn't have any Wi-Fi, I felt like an addict in withdrawal. It's right. just amazing how dependent we are and how often we use it all day long for information, for staying well informed, for communicating with each other. Uh, it really hurts not to have it. And we were five days without Internet because... Uh, we were kind of between satellites, I guess. Uh, we had good Internet on the ship. And we should mention that most cruise ships have decent Internet these days. And it's not as it used to be by the minute. We used to pay 85 cents a minute. Uh, God, can you imagine that? For slow Internet. And now you pay, uh, well, we were paying $7 a day per device, well, each of us. And you get unlimited Internet. Um and on the transatlantic, it worked for about three days, and then all the way through the Azores, it didn't work because it's satellite, and the they had gone out from underneath the satellite footprint, I guess. And when we came back into more closely to Europe, it came back again. Kind of. Kind of. Yeah, it was not, never was as good as it was in Florida. So that if you're traveling on a cruise ship, uh, you probably will have Internet if you're going to a regular itinerary. But uh, crossing the Atlantic is is still kind of a challenge. And I was glad that I had downloaded books and magazines to read while I was not able to get anything new. Yeah, yeah. And even reading the newspaper was bad and doing email was bad. So uh, when it was off, it was off. And that's... uh, 
something you just have to plan for, I guess. We did, however, survive, but I wouldn't want to survive for a lot longer. And it was interesting that when we arrived here in in Amsterdam, we had an interesting experience with WhatsApp. Oh, yes. When we arrived at the airport in Amsterdam, which is enormous, we had hired a man with a sign. That's what I call uh, a person that you um, contract ahead of time to meet you at the airport and bring your bags and you to your hotel no matter how jet lagged you are whether it's day or night it's a wonderful service well and you would pay for it too to, i mean it's, to it's a car service yes as opposed to standing in a taxi but, queue or trying to get an uber <coughs> most of the time when you're coming from overseas there is a focal point where everybody comes out of the customs area and that's where the little man will be with your sign with your name on with it. your name on it but because we had no customs to come through, you know, we just we kind of came right. out from the baggage carousel area like you would in domestic, and then where was our where was our dude? And I think last time uh, when we talked about being in uh, Costa, Costa Rica, Rica, I mentioned that so many people were using WhatsApp, and I didn't really know much about WhatsApp. But as a result of being in Costa Rica and talking to these people, oh, and they sent us some pictures in, the, in Costa through, Rica, they sent us through WhatsApp. So I had installed whatsapp on my phone and i hadn't really thought about it and i created an account but i hadn't really thought about it since so we're sitting there in the no we're not sitting we're walking we're in and the walking at the, and walking no no but we went to the meeting point with the, the airport's people. meeting point which is where they told us they wanted us to go but we got there and there was no guy with our with our name on it but i'm walking around and all of a sudden my <laughs> my pants start vibrating and my phone rings and there's the guy. And I said, well, how the hell did I didn't give you my phone number? And my phone number is different because I'm using Google Fi anyway. And he said, oh, I just tiled you on WhatsApp. <laughs> I said, really? What so I'm going to have to look into using WhatsApp a little bit more. And maybe you could give us some advice about using WhatsApp. Apparently, people use it a lot. And well, I don't know, we're just kind of behind the times, I guess. I try to keep up. Yes, you do. The technology is just too much for me. So when do you use WhatsApp and why? Because we've been thinking so much about cruising at the moment, um, that also made us or made us remember that some people our age decide to do their retirement living <laughs> on a cruise ship. Could you live full-time on a cruise ship? And we've read some articles, I think they've been in the popular media the last few days, where you can live on a cruise ship for $120 a day for two people. And wow. if you've looked at nursing home, assisted living kind of places, you can't stay in those for $120. $20 a day for two people. No, we've looked at assisted living, and it's at least 5000 a month. And that would be a lot more than living on a cruise ship. So, so. apparently more and more people are doing this. Uh, sometimes you can make a deal with a cruise line and do back-to-back-to-back cruises and remain in the same cabin. Those people with a little more money um, sign up for world cruises, so they have a continuing changing um, itinerary of new ports and new places and things to see and do. But over time, when you're on the ship for day after day after day, you end up making friends with the crew. They know you. They care about you. There is a doctor on board if you need some sort of... You've got your entertainment, your food, transportation. Everything is, is right there all done for you. And about the only thing you can't get is snail mail, I would say. Yeah, that's not a big issue. Um, but otherwise, it could be... What if you very... have to pay for internet separate? 
<laughs> a very comfortable alternative. So now we're thinking when it comes time for us to, to hang up the RV keys, keys uh, would this be um, our next move? So the article I have is called, You Can Live on a Cruise Ship for $120 a Day for Two. Here's how. So if you want to read this article... Um, I will, of course, post a link, and it will be on uh, this month's webpage, and that's uh, May of 2022. Okay, mm no, it, it'll be there soon. And if you want to read this article, uh, understand that $120 a day is is really a minimum limit. I can't imagine you living. could spend a lot more. The article talks about you being able to spend $120 a day, but I think that that's very optimistic. optimistic, to say the least. And certainly as inflation is going, that could be a figure that might be true today and not tomorrow. Yeah, well, they're talking about, yeah, they they talked about $68 a day per person. We consider, well, we want to get a balcony, so we consider $100 a day per person to be very much of a bargain rate. And we are not able to accommodate that on this particular trip. No. But um, $100 a day off-season is usually pretty good. So, I don't know. You could, that, I would say $200 a day would be reasonable, but who knows. We're also glad to report that New Zealand is the only major destination that still bans cruising. Australia, which was uh, just opened, is uh, welcoming its first cruise ships uh, in this past week. So by May, it will be in full swing and you can go to Australia, but New Zealand is still closed as far as we know. And China's still kind of a mess too. Uh, Yeah, but I think it's officially open. I don't know. New wave of RV influencers spreading misleading and false information online. Have you read these? No. Well, I think in other areas we've read articles about people. Misinformation in all sorts of fields. And they have a a picture, which I'm going to put in here, which is uh, a picture of Abraham Lincoln. The problem with quotes found on the Internet is that they are often not true. And that's a direct quote from Abraham Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln. (laughs) This was posted as being real. Uh, if you'd like to read an article about this, um, you know, the false information that uh, you can get from the Internet. Did Abraham Lincoln really say that? Of course not. Anyone can post just about anything on the Internet without expertise or facts to back them up. And that's exactly what some RV influencers are doing. The challenge today is that RV industry is exploding and people are hungry for information. There are so many people that see the potential for making money with blogs, articles, vlogs, and more. As a result, you can't blame them. They are making good money from it. But in many cases, the information they're putting out there just isn't true, and it can do a lot of damage to RVs. Now, of course, you are listening to the pinnacle of knowledge about RVs. (laughs) But we're not influencers. Well, uh, th- we're doing the same thing that influencers doing. Yeah. We're just not. We're just, we just don't have any influence. Nobody's listening. Nobody's listening. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, but the bottom line here is is that you might want to read this article because he has some fa- some fairly interesting ideas and and examples of false information that our our viewers are getting from blogs. And I have a real problem with Facebook because when you read the questions and then you read the answers. They're all over the board, and many of them are just totally wrong. And you have um, no way to know how experienced the people who are writing you back 
exactly. are about the question exactly. that you're asking. So you really have to be careful about the information that you get. You know, people write in about questions, which are a lot of them solars and batteries and electricity tires. and tire. Oh, tires, yes. And the information you get is just bogus, bogus in many cases and just not true. So you always want to listen to your RV navigators. <laughs> <laughs> We'll always give you the truth information. And the reason why is because we don't take any ads. And we have had lots of experience in the last 50 years of RVing. Well, and Facebook is such a general, unfocused, yeah. anybody can put anything on there, and they do. Where there are many places where you can share information and ask your questions and have a far more... Confident feeling that you are getting information that is useful, valuable, and true. And one of those places is IRV, the number two, IRV2.com. And IRV2.com has forums. And many of them are very focused on specific issues with RVs, either a uh, manufacturer's forum or a topic like electricity or internet or whatever. And those topics are generally, the people on them are much more helpful. And they stay on the topic. That's another thing that bothers me is is that somebody asks a question and then the 50 answers later, you don't even know what the question is because you couldn't figure it out. Anyway, I think that's about it for this month. I don't know. We're done talking about not RVing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> RVing has kind of taken a second place here, Sorry. but that was the that was RVing for this month. Um, what other topics do we want to talk about for the RVing? Well, I oh, I want to talk about this one that uh, about your new GPS and there's GPS is blamed in RVers' death. Oh, that's a dismaying story. An Indiana couple, and I'm sure if you <laughs> if you read Facebook, you saw this. <laughs> you saw this, or any of the other social media sites. That the Indiana couple, along with their motorhome, on a trip from Oregon to Arizona, went missing. Went missing, and as they posted, the couple were lost and stranded in the desert hills of Nevada. Since the initial post, more details have come into focus regarding the Barkers' tragic final trip together. Now it seems the couple's GPS is taking some of the blame for the tragic outcome. The husband died. He was over 70. Ooh, so he was young. Uh (laughs) Because they got stuck in the sand in the desert. Because they followed the route that their GPS recommended. Ooh. And it wasn't totally the GPS's fault because he didn't check off the checkbox that he didn't want to go off uh, road. road yeah. And so or the GPS dirt, dirt roads or something. just did the shortest route. That's usually what it does unless you tell it you want something else. They actually lost their lives being stranded in the desert because, of course, they broke down where there was no cell service. We know how that goes. And then they took their towed off the motorhome and... And tried to continue with that route that continue the GPS going straight had recommended, and then it got stuck in the sand, and they literally were stranded to death. And the husband and he died. died, and the wife was airlifted. After a week of being stranded, was airlifted, and told the story that we just mentioned. All I got from the story is to go back and check my GPS to make sure I have things set properly for. And you just got a new GPS, which I was able to use again on our drive home and which I like very much because it gave me so much information. So I have the Ray McNally and you have the new Garmin. Garmin. 
And yeah. it's for RVers. But we bought the, the cheapest version that is RV-oriented. so Which wasn't all that cheap. So we're not spending big bucks on these. Uh, why did you get a new one? Because my old one died. Huh. Because I was... depended on it greatly. And that's the other thing that, that I feel it's a good idea that we do is that we do use the two different GPSs because every so often I'll look at mine and look at the map on my lap and say, oh, that doesn't make sense. Or I'll hear Ken's GPS chirping up with some outrageous suggestion about where we're supposed to turn, and I say to him, I don't think that's right. And because we have three sources of information, and sometimes I use Google Maps on my phone as well, uh, it's less likely that we will end up dead in the desert because we took the wrong route always a problem and so dear listener please be very careful as you're planning your routes and make sure that they where you're going is appropriate for your rv and there are obviously lots of questions about this but uh, the gps's are not the be all and end all and don't just follow them blindly i mean there have been numerous people who've gone down railroad tracks and stuff and you shouldn't assume that there's cell phone service everywhere because they mm. did have functional phones. Yes. They didn't run out of power, but there was just no way to communicate. And they had sent a text to one of their relatives with their exact location, but the text never was sent because there was no cell service, or cell yeah. service yeah. for it to go out. So, that's, uh, so you can't re- depend on it. You need to diversify. And there was nothing wrong with their RV. They could have stayed with it for quite a long time, I think. Uh, I guess they were anxious to leave, but they left They left the RV within 12 hours of it getting stuck. stuck. So, you know, the, the, the generator worked. The, they had water, you know. It might have been hot, but I don't think they That's should have. That's scary. Yeah, it's, you don't know what to do. And to continue on in the direction where your RV is already stuck. You, could, you should have gone back to where <clears> you know you could come from because you had just done it. Yeah, uh, but hindsight is twenty twenty. And they were driving at night, too, which is another big issue. Anyway, so, dear listener, we will uh, be more RV-oriented next month, but we hope that you found this month to be interesting. And, uh, Something it's, different. It's the part of uh, the RV Navigator that we are doing at the moment, and that is uh, sailing overseas. So with that said, we will be home on May 7th or so, and we will have to recover from jet lag, but we'll be ready for... The next RV Navigator podcast. From our at-home studio. Will we see them in a a campground near us? Not right after we get home. Well, we'll be going camping in June. So we will talk to you in the near future, and we hope to hear from you at our new email address, rvnavigator at mac.com, and we will talk to you next month. Stay healthy, keep traveling, look forward to some outings in the summer. It's almost here.